So I want us to, to kick off the theme of, of our fast, uh, which you'll see in your handbooks, and be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. And uh, so I think it's going to help us position uh, ourselves at the moment in the four congregations. We uh, have got different preachers um, from, from outside of, of Southlands. Uh, you got me. <laughs> and, uh, and they really are uh, trying to help us position ourselves as a congregation for three days of seeking the Lord. And very few of us like, oh, yeah, a fast. Uh, a fast is not trying to twist God's arm and make Him love us more. A fast is essentially denying ourselves of things we love and run to for comfort in order to run to Jesus for comfort and courage. And uh, it's, it's fasting to feast on Jesus. And uh, I honestly believe that the Lord is going to cause His strength uh, and His encouragement to rest on you as you seek the Lord uh, together. And so I'm hoping that this passage is going to prepare us, is going to set us up uh, in the right frame of mind. For some reason, we always do this the day after the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so think of it as a good Super Bowl cleanse as well, you know, but it's far more than a, than a hunger strike and a cleanse. And that's why to gather together at night here on Monday and Tuesday and then together at Brea on Wednesday is going to help you to feel like this is not just a hunger strike. This is actually meeting with the Lord. And, and over the years, as we fasted as a church, it's so great to see uh, people that we, we love and have come to, to know, old and new friends, John and Naomi, I can just about see you in the glare, so wonderful to see you there. Friends online, it's so great to uh, think of you watching online, and uh, I just want to say, man, well done for toughing it out through the last year, which has been, has required great strength and courage, it really has. Um, I sadly had to speak at the closure of a friend's church in Costa Mesa that I helped plant. I was a fellow elder there for four years, um, and, and they closed down. They weren't able to meet online, and they dwindled from 120 down to 30 and then closed. And I just want to say, man, every church has suffered loss, uh, has suffered loss of intimacy and suffered loss of friendship and loss of number. Every church I know um, and in many ways, to still be standing here, faithful, is success. We're not going to stay here. We're going to go on and grow, but well done for being here in person and online. And we trusting that after a year that really feels like a wilderness year, um, we actually are positioned to come into the promised land, and that's going to require strength and courage. So turn with me to Joshua 1, it's going to be up on the screen, and there's three times that in God's commission to Joshua and the people, I'll give you a context soon, that he commands them to be strong and courageous. And whenever I get to be strong and courageous, I want you to join me, loud and proud, with be strong and courageous, a little bit of call and response. You ready? You ready? Good stuff. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot 
will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Ready? Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you for wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Three times the Lord commands Joshua and all the people, be strong and courageous. God doesn't have a speech impediment here. Uh, He is repeating a command that we will find is very counterintuitive to these people. And it's actually the, the command to be strong and courageous is the positive alternative to the negative command at the end, do not be afraid. Rather, be strong and courageous. And that command, do not be afraid, is the most repeated command of God to his people in all of Scripture. In fact, it's repeated 365 times in the Bible. Do not be afraid. Uh, One once for every day of the year, which would suggest that the Lord knows that we are prone to fear. We are prone to weakness. And so this command is not kind of like a suck it up buttercup command. It's not a fake it till you make it command. It's God knowing the hearts of his people that are prone to melt with fear, prone to melt with panic, And he's saying, I am giving you promises that will help you to be strong and courageous in your weakness and fear. And can you see how the command, be strong and courageous, and then the second, above all, be strong and courageous. In other words, it's a virtue, courage, that is an above all virtue. And then, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? I think... Very often when we think of the call to courage, we think of people who were naturally born with courage. We just think of of brave people. Only one of our three kids was naturally born brave. It was our daughter. The other two, the boys, have had to learn courage. And I want to say, courage can be learned. And courage can be imparted. And courage, just like fear, is contagious. And if we look at the emotional context, not just the geographical context, but the emotional context of this command, 
we will see that these people, before they went into Canaan, the promised land, having wandered in the wilderness, Moses sends 12 spies. We know the story. And in the promised land, Canaan, they find these giant grapes, so big that they had to be carried on a pole between two men. It was an incredibly fruitful land. In fact, Moses called it the land flowing with milk and honey. And yet there were giants in the land. There were giant grapes and there were giant people. And 10 of the 12 spies fixated on the giants. And it says, and they melted with fear. And only two, Joshua and Caleb, said, yes, there are giants, but the Lord helping us, he will certainly bring us in to this land flowing with milk and honey. And when the Lord describes this land as a land flowing with milk and honey, he's saying it's a land of great opportunity, but great opposition. And really, it's as we focus on the Lord that we get a lens for looking at the opposition and looking at the opportunity and saying, the opportunity is worth it. It's not denial of the opposition. You know, where there's milk and honey, think about it. That means to get the milk and honey, you've got to get through some udders and some beehives. Right? You don't just get milk served. You've got to watch out for being kicked by that cow and that weird udder. You don't just get the honey served. You've got to get through some beehives. That description, a land flowing with milk and honey, intrinsically has opposition in it. There is no inheritance for the people of God without a fight. Nothing was handed to us on a platter. Christ won the victory, but then he said, now you go and get it. It's going to require strength and courage. I remember when we first arrived here in 2007, our good friends Jim and Maggie, some of you remember them, Jim's an Irishman, and he had this... Uh, great sort of, you know, Irish humor. And he came to me, he said, welcome to the land flowing of milk and honey. Bring your own honey. <laughs> I was like, what does that mean? And you know, I, I, I remember those first few years in, in the United States of America, just actually being overwhelmed as, a, as an African man, being overwhelmed by the abundance of this land. I remember going to Red Robin. We were talking about this last night. Red Robin, you know? And, and I was just like, what is this place where your drink and your fries are not, only, not even like a third done and they give you another bottomless fries, bottomless drink? And Renelle and I would be going like, is there some sort of camera here? where you get like these bottomless fries and bottomless drink before you've even finished it. Here we go, sir. Here's another bottomless fries. You guys think it's funny. Coming from Africa, like, that doesn't happen. Land flowing with milk and honey. Abundance and, and prosperity. But you know, within a year of being here, not only had I put on 10 pounds, but we'd been sued as a church. My very first Thanksgiving... There was a knock on the door and a lawyer, lawsuit. First, happy Thanksgiving, sir. Whoa, there's some bees and some udders in this land of opportunity and abundance. 
And we began to, to realize, man, there might be physical abundance. We're grateful for that. But man, it was a fight. Man, it was a fight. To follow Jesus and make disciples in this land required strength and courage. And you know that as well as I do. And so what is it to recognize that there are giants in this land? But to say, no, no, actually, this is a good land flowing with milk and honey. It requires strength and courage. Just before Joshua 1, God has led Moses up onto Mount Nebo, which overlooked Canaan, Jordan River and Canaan. So you can see they've been wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. The wilderness has exposed all sorts of things in Moses and the people of God. They have been exposed and they've been found wanting. They've been found to be double-minded and doubtful and grumpy and disunited and resistant to authority and all these things. And at one moment, in a moment of frustration, Moses strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And God says, I'm going to show you from Mount Nebo this land that I promised to all Abraham's descendants, but you won't go in. Hard. And there's this, in Deuteronomy 34, there's this very poignant passage where it says, and Moses died there, and God buried Moses. Only time in the whole of Scripture that God buried a man. This was Moses. This was the most humble man on the face of the earth. This was the man who was a friend of God, spoke face to face with him, a man who saw the glory of God and wrestled for the presence of God. Saw incredible miracles, Red Sea and Passover and manna. And yet he was not able to go in. And the people were mourning and weeping for the loss of this leader that they loved, who re represented such security and stability for them. And there was this leadership transition. That's what Joshua 1 is. And Joshua, Moses' aide, who often stood with him in the tent of meeting as the cloud of God's presence came. It was now his time. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore. Those are big words. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore. And you can imagine these people who have been wandering around in the wilderness. The wilderness has exposed their hearts. And I just go, man, this last year has been like a wilderness, hasn't it? Has it exposed your heart and my heart? It's exposed my doubt. It's exposed my despair. It's exposed my frustration. It's exposed my defensiveness. How about you? And no wonder they feel fearful. No wonder they feel weak because they've been wandering around, being tested and found wanting. And so the Lord knows their hearts. And so this command to be strong and courageous is not a command in a vacuum. He knows that the wilderness has exposed them. But he's actually saying, I have promises that are going to cause a spirit of strength and courage to rest on you in your pervasive weakness and fear. There is a pervasive weakness and fear sweeping across the church at this time. We've been exposed. We've been found wanting in many ways. We've been found not as focused on the Great Commission as we thought. We tend to drift off towards politics or justice or 
conspiracy theories or end time theories. And for many in the church, there's a pessimism where we're just saying, we just got to hold on until Jesus comes back. And this passage shows us that actually there is a promised land and it's not just waiting for heaven. That Jesus is returning. We don't know the hour, but he's not just saying occupy until I come. He's saying possess the land. Walk forward. I want a front-footed church. Jesus promised, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I know that we feel like all hell has been let loose against the church in these days. I, I get it. I feel it too. But actually today there's a posture change where he's saying, you've got to cross over the Jordan and start possessing a land. You think of that passage the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We so easily in the church feel like Satan's on the front foot and we're defend, just defending the truth, battening down the hatches. Gates, beloved, gates. Think of gates. Gates are not weapons of offense. Gates are means of defense. And in other words, Jesus is saying, you know, Satan is trying to keep you out. You're on the front foot, not on the back foot. That's the posture that Joshua calls for. It preempts what Jesus was going to say. Jesus, the greater Joshua. So what we first see here is that courage is not just mustered up. It is received through the promises of God. And first of all, courage rests or is received by God's continue, continual call to his people. Just as I promised Moses... So I promised you. Can you see the continuity here? There was a sense in which the people must have gone, oh, the glory days are over. Moses, the man of God, the servant of the Lord. I mean, how can it get better than Moses? I mean, he talked face to face with God as a man would talk to us. It's all downhill from here. But actually God says, no, no, no. My promise and my commission remains the same. Every place that the sole of your, your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. You think of the tenderness of God? He buries Moses. God is so tender. But I want to tell you, God is not sentimental. There's no like year-long mourning for Moses. No. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, now, therefore. I mean, God is like, I love this guy. I loved him so much, I won't bury anyone else, just him. But now, but now therefore. In other words, the personnel had changed, but God's promise had not changed. I think so often we get locked on to, to leaders, what God is doing with this person, and leaders are not unimportant. They, they're important, but they're not ultimate. God loves his leaders. God speaks face to face with his leaders. God will bury a leader who died. Now, therefore, you and the people go over. God is ultimately faithful to his promise and his commission. And he will do it with or without Moses. And that should give us courage, beloved. Courage is not just something that you feel. If I ask you, how are you doing? And Mike says, oh, I'm feeling encouraged. You could say, well, that's just a state of heart or a state of mind. He's kind of 
feeling pretty encouraged. But if I ask Mike, how are you doing? And he says, I'm courageous. That's different from being encouraged, right? Being courageous, you know, courageous to do what? Courageous to do what? Courageous is more than just being encouraged. Being encouraged is good. But being courageous, well, what are you going to run at? What mountain are you going to run at? What task are you going to run at? What giant are you going to slay? Courage is always to something. One of the things that we have to understand as the people of God is that God's salvation is not just from something, it's to something. And what we were saved from requires nothing of us except that we just believe and receive. Christ has done it all. It is finished. What we save from, from sin, from separation, from judgment, from eternal separation from God, that just is something we just, thank you, Jesus. But what we save to requires something of us. It requires strength and courage. Some of you will remember Dudley Daniel's inimitable words. What we're saved into is more important than what we're saved out of. And what we saved into is going to require courage. We can be saved from sin by Jesus' work. But to be saved to holiness requires cooperating with Jesus' work and strength and courage. We can be saved from separation from God, but actually to come into intimacy with God requires something of us, right? We can be saved from judgment. That's Christ's work. But to be saved into good works that God has prepared in advance for us to walk in, Ephesians 2, requires something of us, strength and courage. And too often, I, I, I'm around people, that are just like hearkening back to the glory days. Oh, the night I got saved was so amazing. Fantastic. What are you saved into? What are you saved into? Spurgeon said about this, the sense of strength and courage, that courage is to something. He said, it's time we took possession of that godly heritage the Lord has made our own. For in Christ Jesus, we've obtained an inheritance and have the guarantee of it in our position by the Spirit of Jesus. But we have lingered too long in the wilderness. We must take it. So Christ won it. We must take it. There is a continuity of commission on the people of God that there is a promised land ahead of us that should give us courage. The clearest thing that we have through Scripture and ultimately through Jesus is the Great Commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. There's a continuity that we have with the early disciples. Our season has changed. It's weird. People have come and gone. Laws are coming and going. Thank the Lord for the Supreme Court decision yesterday. That's good for us, but laws will change. But actually the commission remains the same. And Jesus is still dead serious about his people fulfilling that commission of making disciples of all nations. Ultimately, we're not talking about the promised land as a place, although we need a theology of place here where we live. But ultimately, the promised land for us is people. Not one nation, every nation. And Jesus is committed to it. Let courage rest on the people of God that he's dead serious about you fulfilling that commission. Amen? Amen. 
Secondly, courage draws from the assurance of God's presence. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. So there's a strength and courage that comes from from God's call. I, I haven't changed my purpose for my people, but there's a strength and courage that comes from God's promise that just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You think of how encouraging that must have been for Joshua. Joshua, who was in the tent of meeting as Moses in Exodus 33 cried out, God, do not send us up out of here without your presence, for what else will distinguish us from all the people on the face of the earth except your presence? And God says, yes, my presence will go with you. And then Moses kind of argues even more, not just with me, with all the people. In other words, Moses was saying, God, I want the X factor of these people to be your presence. And Moses must have felt so relieved, sorry, Joshua, must have felt so relieved that God had not changed his mind. He had not said, oh, the X factor now is going to be the Ten Commandments. I mean, the Ten Commandments was vital, but actually the X factor was the presence of God. How encouraging. How encouraging. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You know that the presence of God brings comfort. Isn't it amazing that He will never leave us or forsake us? Isn't it amazing that Jesus was forsaken on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken that you and I would never be forsaken. The Son was banished from the house that you and I might find a seat at the table. The son, if I can use the term, was bastardized that you and I might be adopted. He will never leave you or forsake you. I know this season has felt desperately lonely for many of you. Desperately sad for many of you. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's great comfort. But the presence of God does not just give us comfort it gives us courage. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now be strong and courageous. Can I say without being insulting, God is not our emotional support dog. He's not just, oh, come so that I, I know I'm not alone. It's beautiful that we're not alone, but that's not all. <laughs> God is our commander. And in Joshua, we find that, that the presence of God lights a fire under them. I mean, if, if God is with us, who can be against us? That's what Paul says in Romans 8. If God is for us, if God is with us, who can be? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor pandemic, nor crazy laws, nor changing culture in California, nor angels, nor demons, nor life, nor death. God is with us, therefore, surely we should look a little bit more courageous. Surely that should do something to our fear. Think of King David in the Psalms where he would talk about the presence of God, giving him courage. With my God, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. 
There should be something of that. Not with my God, I'm alone. I'm not alone. It's so comforting. Oh yeah, yes, that, but more. Amen. And it's important that we understand that God's presence with Joshua looked different to God's presence with Moses. In the book of Joshua, there was no cloud and there was no fire. And yet the promise remained the same. Those of us who've been around walking with the Lord for a long time, let's be careful that we don't get stuck in nostalgia and say, this is what God's presence is like. No, God's promise remains the same, but it looked different. In the book of Joshua, God's presence caused them to go in a straight line rather than wander around. I want to ask you, which would you prefer? Would you prefer some spectacular miracles and wander around for 40 years? Or would you prefer some slightly less spectacular miracles, but actually to take ground forward, long obedience in the same direction? Perhaps we can have both. But God's presence in Joshua was actually less spectacular, but seemingly more effective. It looked like Jericho walls falling down. It looked like giants being felled. It looked like the angel who was a captain of the hosts confronting Joshua and saying, whose side are you on? And actually it brought a directness to the people of God. Can the presence of God direct you as a people of God to say, immediate and complete obedience is what is required? The presence of God is not an optional extra with the people of God. It should still be the X factor. And I think in the absence of a lot of things we love, perhaps the absence of hugs and high fives and coffee and potluck lunches and maybe more people around, perhaps in the absence of some of these things, the presence of God could be more treasured. In the absence of Moses, the presence of God was more treasured by these people. I want to encourage you in the fast, practically, to practice the presence of God. To appropriate what Christ has won, that He will never leave us or forsake us. And to spend some moments actually appropriating that, saying, Lord, I thank you that biblically I know you were forsaken, that I might be adopted. Now, Holy Spirit, won't you come and fill me with a tangible sense of God's presence so that I would be strengthened in my weakness, so that I would be encouraged in my discouragement? Take time to practice the presence of God alone and together. How many of you read that classic book by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God? He says, in a very practical way, he says, God does not ask much of us, merely a thought of Him from time to time, a little act of adoration, sometimes to ask for His grace, sometimes to offer Him your sufferings, at other times to thank Him for the graces, past and present, He has bestowed on you in the midst of your troubles to take solace in Him as often as you can. Lift up your heart to Him during your meals or absence of meals and in company. The least little remembrance will always be the most pleasing to Him. One need not cry out very loudly. He is nearer to us than we think. Beautiful, isn't it? Just in practical ways. Snatch moments in the day. 
Practice the presence of God. It will make you strong. Make you strong. Thirdly, what, what we find is that courage grows as we take decisive steps of obedience. Courage grows as we take decisive steps of obedience. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Courage imparts obedience. Step over this boundary into Jordan. They were beginning a journey, but you know, a journey in any good decision, it takes a, the first few steps are, are the hardest. Make sure that, that your journey is, is not, not a detour of disobedience. I think in the church too often, we overuse or we misuse the word journey. Everyone's on a journey. Oh, I'm just on a journey with God. I'm rediscovering some things about myself. You know, I'm exploring some new ideas and some new theologies. Just make sure that your journey is not a 40-year detour of disobedience. And what we see here is that the detours of the people of God actually became direct because they obeyed. They took a step. And from this time on, they took much more ground because they weren't just meandering. And it actually begins with obedience. Now, therefore, arise and go over. What is the Lord in this next three days going to speak to you about in terms of obedience? And are you willing to obey quickly? Are you willing to actually go, I'm stepping over the Jordan River? You know, the Jordan River was in full flood. So often what God calls us to, it might be boldness and evangelism, might be generosity with our finances, it might be mercy and justice, might be forgiving someone that we've had a grudge against, it might be a new rhythm of prayer, it might be stepping into a ministry or leadership position in the church, it might be stepping into a new role in work, but actually we've got to take a step of obedience. And there is always opposition when we take a step of obedience. You know, the thing about a now therefore stepping over is that decisive obedience leaves us vulnerable. That's why we'd rather just go on a journey. Because the moment we actually are decisive, I mean, you step into a river in full flood, you could get washed away. Very often what God calls us to, I mean, the odds are stacked against us. Let me use a, a football analogy. If you're a linebacker, there is a moment, and I've checked this out with my football playing son. I never played football. There is a moment that you have got to make a decision. Do I run forwards or do I run back? Do I run forwards to try and sack the quarterback? Or do I run back for the pass? There is a moment as the ball is snapped before the quarterback has thrown that you have to go, do I run forwards for the tackle or backwards for the pass? And when you do, you are vulnerable. Because if you run forwards for the tackle or the sack, he might lob it over your head. Then you look like a fool. If you run back and he, he runs... 
moves the chains, then you look like a fool. But the fact is, and my son says this, an indecisive linebacker never gets any hits or tackles. You have to be decisive, and decisiveness leaves you vulnerable. These people were called to decisive obedience that would leave them vulnerable in a flooded river. But the Lord loved it, and he promised that he would give them success as they were vulnerably obedient. Courage grows. Courage grows as we leave ourselves vulnerable. We've been gathering a group of people in our backyard. We've got our Brea groups praying for revival, and that's kind of a vulnerable thing. (laughs) Because you can get cynical about revival, you know. But, but we've been praying, and we are for 10 weeks about revival. On the first week, there's this guy who comes, and I just knew that he'd lost his wife last year to death, cancer. And we're praying, and in the middle of prayer, we're repenting. And I'm about to move on for, from repentance, and he, he says, stop, no, 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 stop, stop. I need to repent. And this man, who's probably in his late 60s, early 70s, he starts weeping, and he says, Lord, I'm sorry, I've been angry at you for taking my wife and allowing her to suffer for all these years. And he began to repent of anger. And a lady walked over to him and laid her hands on him and started to pray. And it was just an incredible sense of the presence of God. He wept, he wept, he wept, he wept vulnerable. Next week he came back. I said, Tom, how are you doing? That was a big day, wasn't it? Like, how's your week been? He said, you know what's amazing? I went home and I said, I've been way too focused on myself. And he said, back in the day, I used to take communion to people who couldn't come to church because they were ill. And I decided there's a couple in the church. She is going through chemotherapy I would go and take them communion after church on Sunday because they can't be there. And he just said, it's been so amazing because I've started looking out instead of looking in. Amazing. Just a moment of being vulnerable, God coming, and actually you take steps of obedience. The Lord breaks in. From anger at God to serving communion to shut-ins. The Lord loves obedience and courage grows. This word, you might enjoy it or not. But actually what makes this word a blessed word is that you respond to it with obedience. Finally, courage is anchored in the wisdom of God's word. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. There's three calls to the Word of God here. And firstly, it's this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. In other words, you proclaim it. And then secondly, to to meditate upon it. You will meditate on it. And then third, to obey it, you will be careful to do all that I commanded you. And what God is, is using, he's using an analogy of the Bible, the word. They had only five books of the Bible. We have 66. But of the word where he says meditate on a day and night, that word meditate is literally to, to chew, to eat. 
to digest and then allow that digestion to energize us to action. Courage comes when we look at our diet of wisdom and we ask, what am I chewing on? What am I meditating on? And what is it doing to my life? And God is saying, this book, don't turn to it left or right. Keep on eating it. Keep on allowing the Bible not to be your little dessert every now and again, but to be your main course. Courage comes when we chew on the Word of God. I want to ask you, what is your diet of wisdom? We have more information at our fingertips than any other generation in history. But we're eating ourselves sick because our primary diet is not the Word of God. It's the internet. It's our friends. It's the gossip columns. It's the news commentators. And I say commentators because there ain't no news presenters anymore. They're all commentators. And actually, God says, you will have success when this is your primary diet. Remember, beloved, that Satan came the first time he tempted the people of God. He came with the temptation to turn to the right and the left from the Word of God. Did God really say to Adam and Eve? Did God really say? And then he tempted them with knowledge. Don't listen to what God said. Eat of the tree of knowledge. I want to tell you, this culture has more knowledge than ever before. But we are foolish because we lack wisdom. The wisdom of the word of God. And today, Satan is tempting his people again. Knowledge, 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 knowledge. But wisdom comes from here. The wise man built his, his house on the rock by hearing and obeying, not turning to the left. As Wesley, one of my favorite preachers, said, let me be a man of one book. Now, I love reading books. I'm a literature teacher, for heaven's sake. I don't read books, but let's be a people of one book. Where the highest authority in your and my life is the Word of God. And every other piece of knowledge, we, we look at it through the lens of the Word of God. That will make us wise. The first Adam was tempted by Satan to turn apart from the Word of God and eat knowledge, and he lost courage. He lost wisdom. The second Adam, Jesus Christ, was tempted in the wilderness, and he did not turn to the right or the left. He said, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan has actually been overcome. Our enemy has been overcome by Jesus, the second Adam. And therefore, when we are tempted in the wilderness, we can stand in Jesus' victory through the word of God, saying, this is my wisdom. I will trust what he says. Yes, God did really say. And Satan will flee. And the people of God will come into the promises. Not without a fight, but they will come into the promises of God. So Lord, I ask...
that you would cause, Jesus, your spirit of courage to rest upon your people. We confess that we feel weak and we feel fearful. But we ask in Jesus' name that you who overcame our greatest enemy in your life, in your death, in your resurrection, you overcame him, that that same spirit of victory and courage would rest upon us. Bless Southland's Chino as they pray and fast this week, Lord. May you bring breakthrough. May you bring encouragement. May you bring strength in Jesus' name. Amen.